0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm.
1: to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. So, scanning the QR code, it's located on the front of your worship guide, um, allows you to connect to all online information about our church, the givings of tithes and offerings, along with our social media platforms, all in one place. So, guests, please click on our on the menu item for the first time guests. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or you may mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville 35811. Or after the service, you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. So today after worship at 11 a.m., you can we have our Enter the Village class, and it continues, and our sunny Sunday equipping classes. So we also have the first steps for, the nur- for nursery age, village kids, which is ages kindergarten to fifth grade, and the youth for ages sixth grade to the twelfth grade, divided into two groups, and sermon discussion for adults will begin after the service.
0: Um,
1: at 12.15 p.m., the Teague Village group will meet in the church house. So, later on this week, on Wednesday, February 8th, at 7 p.m., we have the corporate pra- prayer in the sanctuary. On Thursday, February 9th, we ha- at 7 a.m., the Shipman men's group at Just Love Coffee, and at 5 p.m., the Goodson men's group meets at the church house. Then, next Sunday, uh, on February 12th, at 9 30 a.m., we have the worship service at 11 a.m. we have the Sunday equipment classes for all ages and then at 12 15 we have the chili cook-off and if you have any questions about that you can see Sarah Ludwig about that um so that's all for our announcements thank you and do with that as you will
2: morning. Just take these few moments to fellowship with the Lord. Cast your cares at his feet. Rejoice him give thanks whatever conversations you need to have with him um, right now as we prepare to worship and just know you can believe that he hears you the word says he inclines his ears to hear our prayers so just take the next few moments as I sing this song to commune with him because he's standing He's right with you. He's our Emmanuel. So he's right there with you with open arms. And he's always saying, come to me.
3: I am the Lord
2: your God. I go before you
3: now. I stand beside you. I'm all around you. No, you feel I'm far. I'm closer than your breath I am with-
2: It comes from Psalm 7, verse 17, through chapter 8, verse 1. Please join with me where it notes people as well as all. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will pray, sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.
3: Names. Let all the other names fade away, oh yeah, let all the other names fade until, till there's only you, let all the other names fade away, Jesus take your place, Jesus take your place, we say hands up. for a song in itself it's not what you have required you search much deeper within you search much deeper within it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the thing i made and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm coming back to the heart
4: Thank you so much, Sister Teague, for leading us in those songs of praise. We do have so much to praise God for. Amen. Am I the only one that has something to praise God for? <laughs> uh giving honor to God. We thank God for uh so much. We thank him for our beautiful uh pastor and his family. Amen. And then I'm looking out and you guys look beautiful as well. So praise God for that. Not individually, Chris, I'm saying collectively. Everybody, collectively. How about we continue to praise God and let's go to him in a prayer of praise. Father God, we thank you on this day. It's once again that our heads are bowed, reflecting on you. Lord, as we look at our life and we look at this week and this day alone, we have so much to be grateful for. Lord, you woke us up this morning. We found ourselves clothed and in our right minds. Lord, there was many people who last night, they didn't wake up this morning. But Lord, you saw fit for us to have another day here on this earth, and we'd like to say thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you provided for us when we couldn't provide for ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you protected us from danger seen and unseen. And Lord, we thank you that above above all things, you saw fit to save us and call us to yourself as family, as friend, as redeemed. And Lord, we realize that if we had 10,000 tongues, We wouldn't have enough to thank you for all you've done. So, Lord, we just show that we're grateful today by lifting our voices in worship and living a life of holiness unto you. Lord, we ask that you will continue to bless those in need right now. Lord, there are some people who have medical issues and the doctors cannot figure out what's going on. Lord, there are people that can't sleep at night. There are people that are anxious about the daily ins and outs of of, of life. And, Lord, we know that you're able to calm our anxieties. For, Lord, you told us to cast all of our burdens on you. So, Lord, it's at this moment that I'd like to focus on all of the reasons we have to praise you. And Lord, I just ask that you will help us as we go through this week continue to live a life of thankfulness and gratitude realizing that you did not have to do those things but by your grace and mercy, you showered blessings upon us. And Lord, we ask that you will continue to bless this church. Bless the leadership of this church, Lord. Bless the families that uh, loan their family to serve this church throughout the week. And Lord, for those that are traveling, that, that are usually with us, I ask for traveling grace and mercies, Knowing that you can send your angels to protect them as they travel up and down the dangerous highways. Father, there is so much that we need from you. But Lord, we know that you are the only thing that can truly satisfy our desires. We know that you're the only thing that we truly need in this world. And so, Father, hear our prayer, hear our cries. Be with us now as we continue to worship in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, we're going to uh, do a call and response as far as a confession of faith. It is important, as the body of Christ, that we're reminded collectively of what it is we believe, and that we may continue to grow. In knowledge, as uh, some people may not know what it is that we ought to believe. And so, on this one, uh, this confession of faith is coming from the Heidelberg Catechism. And the statement is, it is through faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. And so, the question is, where then does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments.
5: If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Blow the horn in Gebeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Bethaven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is true, what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, earnestly seek me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
6: Good morning. This Wednesday, our topic for prayer is the LGBT community focusing on the church to have compassionate hearts and open minds to friends and family that are in this community. Please join us this Wednesday at 7 p.m. via Zoom or in person at the church. Let's go into our prayer of supplication. Lord, you call us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to have the ability to listen and have understanding with others. Help us to stay humble and our gentleness may point to your love and compassion you have for people. Lord, the days seem to drag on, and it becomes overwhelming to feel the need that we have to say the right thing, and I ask that you help us to trust the process. Help us to cast our anxieties onto you so that we may be able to be how you made us, that we may be able to honor you and love you in all that we do, that we may be humble enough to admit our wrongs and continue on the path of developing a rich community. Please bless today's sermon, strength, and ag- Alex, and encourage each of us to seek you in your name.
7: Amen. Well, good morning, TVC saints and guests. My name is Pastor Alex. I'm the senior pastor here at the Village Church. I want to thank you all for being with us this morning at our worship gathering. And I do do pray and hope you all have felt welcome and and have felt seen by the body here. If you have your Bible, please open it or your Bible app uh, to Hosea chapter 5. The sermon text is what our brother Jamie read. Hosea is in the Old Testament. The sermon text today is chapter 5, verses 8 through 15. Hosea chapter 5, verses 8 through 15 the sermon text, the sermon title is Love Sometimes Hurt. Love Sometimes Hurt. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? I preached uh, uh, the first part of the sermon last week. So if you haven't listened to part one, you need to go back and listen to part one of this sermon because they're, they're all connected. Now, the, lo- the 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 Lord God loves his people with a love that makes them whole. And sometimes that love hurts. And we see such love on display in the first seven verses of Hosea chapter 5. The Lord God corrects the people of Israel and the Israelite leaders for for their covenant unfaithfulness. He, he, he lets them know that, that judgment is coming because of their refusal to repent. And our text today continues this thread where we're going to see how is God present with his people during times of correction, discipline, judgment, and covenant unfaithfulness and repentance. How is he present with us during those seasons? And here's the big idea of this sermon and the one for next week is that God's loving presence in the lives of his people sometimes hurt. And it sometimes heals. As an amen statement. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it heals. us. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, we desperately need you to give us the insight that we need. Because apart from you, we cannot understand truth. Apart from you, scripture doesn't make sense. I don't care how smart we are or how many books we have read, how many Bible studies we've gone to, how many, how long we've been a Christian. If the Holy Spirit, if you, the third person within a Godhead, if you're not moving, if you're not changing, if you're not convicting, then Lord, the word still falls on dead hearts. It still will go in one ear out the other, and so we need you to take what is preached and apply it to all of our hearts and apply it to the very lives that we live, the lives that we're going to live starting tomorrow, in the places where we struggle in the places where we're frustrated, we need you to be real to us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. In Exodus 34, Moses gets up early one morning and he climbs up Mount Sinai as the Lord God had commanded him the day before. And so when Moses reaches the top of the mountain, the Lord God descends in a cloud. He, he joins Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. He stands right beside him. And the text says, then the Lord calls out his own name. Yahweh. He passes in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I'll lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I'll forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But, there's always a but, right? But, I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generation. TBC Saints and Guests, Exodus 34, it reveals to us that God's presence in the lives of his people hurts sometimes, and it heals at other times. First, it hurts. He says, I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children and grandchildren. And second, it heals, for he says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. In our text today, we're going to see that God's love and presence sometimes in our life can hurt. And when it does, it can confuse us. I I read a parenting article this week titled, What a child learns from empty threats. What a child learns from empty threats. The author writes, discipline often feels like a lesson in escalation. Child breaks rules, parent punishes. Child breaks same rule, parent punishes more. Child breaks rule again, parent punishes, punishes even more and threatens more worse. And then the wheels come off the wagon. Why, the author says, because children learn just as much from hallowed threats as they do from fair and evenly applied consequences. And none of it is good. By threatening, misbehaving children, parents set themselves up to fail and to confirm the child's suspicion that they can get away with whatever they want. As a father, I've made many empty threats throughout the years, and I made one earlier this week which is another failure of mine as a father. But God, on the other hand, doesn't make empty threats. I guess I need to pull it out. You're going to pull it out, right? God, your father, does not make empty threats. If you are a Christian, if you have saving faith in Jesus today, then you are God's beloved child. Beloved son and beloved daughter. But please know he does not make empty threats to his beloveds. That's why his loving presence can sometimes hurt. For it disciplines us. It corrects us. It transforms us. It holds us accountable. It even allows us to experience the natural consequences of the choices that we make in life. This point is introduced to us in in verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, God tells the the people to to blow the horn, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm. He's issuing a warning to to Israel and and to Judah. It's a a warning that, that judgment will soon arrive for his people. Blow the horn, for judgment is coming. Blow the horn, discipline is on the way. Sound the alarm, correction is coming. Look at verse 9a. It says, Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Please know, those are not an empty threat. Remember, our God does not make empty threats. He says in verse 9b, among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. What is sure. That is a strong, emphatic, first-person pronoun. I make known among the trials of Israel, there's no cap, there's no lies, and no deceit. In other words, I do not make empty threats. When I say something, this is what it is. In Numbers 23, 19, God says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? TVC Saints, the people of Israel will become a desolation in the day of judgment. And this will be an evenly applied consequence for the sin and the rebellion and the disobedience. And when God does this, his presence in their lives is going to hurt. And I know as we work our way through Hosea, You're hearing language about God that you don't always hear in the songs we sing. We don't always think about God's presence as hurting. Am I the only one? Y'all can talk to me. What's the application here for us? Is this. God is not present in our life in such a way that he would tolerate disrespect and dishonor and a lack of reverence for his name. I need to pull it out because y'all are struggling this morning. Okay. All right. God is not present in your life in such a way that he would tolerate our dishonor and our disrespect and our lack of reverence for his name. If you are a parent, can your child be in your life and disrespect you dishonor you, and you just say it's good, it's good, or will you not correct them lovingly? You will correct them lovingly, and why will we expect less from from, from God? He, he is not present in our life in such a way that we can get away with whatever we want to get away with. I'm married. But Wakita is not going to let me get away with whatever I want to get away with. In any relationship you're in, your friends are not going to let you get away with anything you you want to get away with and still be their friend. So there will be times in our life when God's presence will hurt because when you're under his fatherly discipline, which is an expression of his love, it still hurts. There's no other way to explain it. But it will not. it won't feel like love. It won't look like love, it won't sound like love, it won't taste like love, and it won't read like love. Because when the next five verses that we're going to read, you're going to hear language and you're going to be like, are we sure I, this is the God I worship? Because these metaphors, I, I don't have a category for this. Because it, it, it talks about God's presence in ways that is uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Like it, it was a hard writing this sermon because I don't know how I'm going to put grace into this. The metaphors show us that that His presence is still loving, but at times it hurts. And each metaphor it begins with Israel's and Judah's um, covenant unfaithfulness, and and then it transitions to to how God is going to apply consequences to them both. I read an article this week in a scholarly journal that says, Hosea hopes to cause Israel to return to their God by changing their thinking and thus changing their lives. That's Hosea's hope that these powerful metaphors can lead to repentance because the power of a metaphor lies in its ability to inspire new theological vision. Hosea uses metaphors to shock the self-assured and hypocritical Israel into new awareness. And this applies to us as well. So what's the first metaphor? It's in verse 10. Please look with me. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Let that set for a moment. The princes of Israel, so the princes of Judah, have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. You see, the leaders of Israel, they, they are abusing their authority and leadership. That's what God is accusing them of. He calls them thieves who remove the landmark or boundary that separates property. Well, what does this mean, Alex? How are they like those who move a landmark? Here is how. Like the leaders of Israel, the leaders of Judah are removing the boundary between Yahweh and idols. Between the one true God and false gods. Between true worship and false worship. They have picked up the landmark set by Him, set by Yahweh Elohim. He put the landmark in place back in Exodus 20 verses 1 through 5. Listen to what he says. He says, And the Lord spoke these words, saying, I am Yahweh your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. Landmark. You shall not make for yourself a, a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven that is beneath the earth. That is, in the water or under the water. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. for For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Landmark. That's a boundary. That's a boundary. A boundary put in place by the Lord God. But the princes of Judah have moved it. They even replaced it with their own boundary. What about us? How have we moved the boundary this week? If you have saving faith in Jesus today, please know that this boundary that was given in Exodus 20 is still in place in your life. There's a boundary between Jesus and your idols. There's a landmark between God's kingdom and America. There's a boundary between the one true God and all the false gods of American culture. There's a boundary there. How, how, how are we moving it and recreating the boundary to fit our life, to fit our circumstances? The princes of Judah are living unfaithfully by removing this boundary between Yahweh and idolatry. And the Lord isn't pleased. So he says to them, I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Reflect on that metaphor. I will pour out my wrath like water. Water is usually a symbol for life. Right? Purification and hope. Now, when it's used in the Bible, it can represent good things, good realities, and bad realities. God pouring out his wrath on Judah like water isn't a good reality. There's nothing good about it. But it's evenly applied consequences for their unrepentant sin. So what does this metaphor communicate about God's presence? It communicates that sometimes his presence hurts. It feels like wrath think about it. Pouring a water creates an image of pouring rain that leaves nothing untouched. Everything gets soaked. Everything is drenched. Sometimes God's presence feels like you're under a rain cloud. And this is what he's telling these leaders. I'm going to drench all of y'all in my discipline. And it's not going to feel good. Notice the strong, emphatic first person pronoun. God Is making it clear that he's doing it. I hope you noticed that when Jamie was reading the text. There's a lot of eyes in there. I'm doing it. And if we're honest, those words don't feel like love. Be honest with yourself. That does not feel like love. Doesn't look like love, doesn't sound like love, doesn't taste like love. Doesn't read like love. But it's love. It's love that makes us whole. And sometimes that love hurts. But do we believe it? Are you experiencing it? I know you're like, man, another Hosea sermon. I know. I know. I know. I have to preach the whole counsel of God. I know. I know. The second metaphor is in verses. 11 through 12, he says, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after the But I'm like a moth to Ephraim and dry rot to the house of Judah. Just like in verse 10, the Lord uh, presents the covenant on faithfulness of his people. This time it's Israel's, Israel's unfaithlessness. They, he's going to let them again experience the natural consequences of it. He says, Israel, you Israelites, you, you foolishly have made a decision to go after fifth. You have made a decision to not exercise sound judgment. You're thick-headed is what he's saying to them. Your resolve is basically self-sufficiency. It's functional atheism. You're determined to live an unrepentant sin, determined to live a life apart from me. The message, Bible says, He was so determined to do it his own worthless way. The King James Version says he willingly walked after another commandment. So what is this fifth? What is this worthlessness? What is this commandment? I believe it's everything that Hosea has been accusing the people of up to this point in the book. It's idolatry, covenant unfaithfulness, corrupt leadership, moral decline, social violence, systemic injustice, is what Hosea says back like in chapter 4. He says, there's no faithfulness of steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bonds, bloodshed after bloodshed. There's violence upon violence. It's not good in Israel. But under all this stuff is underneath the culture. Because again, when, when, when Hosea goes to Israel, Israel is at the height of its prosperity. Kind of like our culture. Everything looks good on the surface. They're prospering, things are going well, but underneath, there's a whole bunch of crap going on. And Hosea is calling them out. God is using Hosea to call them out. You're prospering, but you're doing that dispense of your relationship with me as your covenant God. TBC Kids and Youth, give Pastor Alex your attention for a moment, please. I'm not going to call no names. I'm just going to talk to y'all in general. I have a few questions for y'all. First question. Do you know what it means to be defiant? You can share. This is participation time. What does it mean to be defiant? Yes, sir. That's good, Ian. To blatantly disregard all the rules. Bold disobedience. Second question. Are you allowed to be defiant in your home without consequences? If you grew up in a home with grandparents, parents, were you allowed to be defiant without consequences? Israel is defiant in verse 11. Open resistance against the Lord God. Bold disobedience against him. Kids and youth, I don't know about your parents or guardians, but God, your God does not tolerate that level of disrespect from his kids. If you are a Christian today, if you have saving faith in Jesus, if you are his beloved, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then how do you think God is present in your life when you are defiant? Because please know, none of us live completely holy lives. I don't care how long we've been a Christian. There are seasons when we wander in the far country, like the younger brother in Luke. And when we're in that far country, how is God going to be present in our life? How is he going to be there if we're living in unrepentant sin? you got to understand, we sometimes think there's junk happening outside the church. Junk happens in the church. You'd be amazed of what people can do. They come here and worship every week and can be having an affair the rest of the week. But they come here every week and worship Jesus and go home and love their spouse and live in unholy without any sense of conviction. You think, that, that happens in churches. I was part of a church that it happened that. It happens. It does. And I hope you understand, it can also happen here. Because we ain't no different. God's love and presence is going to hurt because when we are living in a way, such a way that's inconsistent as his people, he was disciplining us, just like he continues to discipline Israel and Judah for the unrepented sin. Again, it's evenly applied consequences, and he's just in doing it. It's, it's, it's hard to hear. It is hard to hear. Listen, I had to stay up late to write this. It's hard. What he says to them, I'm going to be moth to Israel and dry rot to the house of Judah. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound good either. <laughs> dry rot. Right. The imagery here is not one of comfort and warm fuzzies. It doesn't sound pleasant to hear God say his presence in your life is going to be moth and dry rot. What in the world is moth and dry rot? The moth here is it's a, it's a clothed moth. usually it's a newly hatched one because when you, when the moth becomes an adult, it doesn't eat anymore. so when it first hatches, it can destroy fabric It may it eat through your clothes, and it loves to eat you know, uh, animal fibers like worms like wool and fur and silk and leather and elders and it can take one month to as much as two years before before this uh pest can transform into a moth. That's a slow process of this insect, or pests, feeding on your clothes, eating your fabric. So God is saying, I'm going to be like that to Israel. Now he says, what about dry rot? The noun that's translated here re- refers to decay. It's the process of something decaying. This dry rot is talking about wood that rots because of worm damage. Just like the clothes, the damage caused by the worm is a slow process of damage taking place over time. What in the world does this mean by God's, for God's presence? For Judah and Israel, it means God's presence is going to be a destructive force in their life. That's what it means. This is a reference to both kingdoms going into exile. And if you know anything about Old Testament history, eventually both kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, go into exile because of their unfaithfulness and their refusal to repent. Again, notice what's happening here. The strong, emphatic, "I, ah, I am doing this. He is saying, I'm in control of this. I'm sovereign over this. I'm sovereign over this. This is, this is like a Romans 1, verses 24 and 25 moment. It says, therefore, God gave them up to their lusts." Of their own hearts and impurities, to the disarming of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. He, he said, "I'm going to give Israel over to the natural consequences of their choices. To the natural consequences of their choices." British poet Robert Abraham says, "For some men die by shrapnel, some go down in flames." But most men die inch by inch in playing at little games. That's what's happening to Israel. They're perishing inch by inch. But what about us? One of the best quotes when I was going through church planning training, Ted Woods, who used to be over the uh, Mission to North America's church planning uh, ministry, And for all of us church planters in the room, he tells all of us, he says, some of you are going to lay the seeds of your own destruction as a church planter by the way you plant your church. And some of us in our own lives, we'll build the seeds of our own destruction by the choices we make. Kids and youth, life is about choices. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. And I know when you read this, it's like, how can God be a loving God if he's saying he's going to be like dry rot in my life, I don't know. I wish I can give you an uh, answer that, that can say make it make it make sense. But I have to go back to what he says in Exodus where he says, I am a God who forgives, a God who is just, but I'm also a God who does not let the guilty go unpunished. He's a both and God. And one thing you can tell say about God, he's hard and firm, but he's always consistent. He's always consistent. His character is always consistent. We have it right here. I'm loving. I'm forgiving. But I'm also, speak the truth. I also hold you accountable. And this is him talking to his people. This is him talking to you post-conversion. Post-saving faith. It doesn't get any better with the metaphors. So, uh third metaphor is in verses 3 and 14. He says, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wounds, Ephraim went to Assyria, sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. That's a lot of eyes, man. It's like. If it ain't clear before, I'm making it clear now. God's discipline and judgment would eventually break Israel and Judah. They're going to get to the point where they can no longer pretend their life is okay. Soon, both of them will have some self-awareness of their own sickness and, and their own wounds. They're even going to acknowledge that trouble is in our way. Trouble is in my way. Let me put it this way. Eventually, Israel and Judah are going to see their need for a Savior. And one day you will too, if you don't already have one. And guess what Israel do when they see that need for a Savior? Guess who they run to for help? Please understand, when God is disciplining his people, he's disciplining you to pull you close to him. That's the whole point of it. So when he's disciplined them, guess who they run to for help? It says they run to the very kingdom that's going to eventually take them in exile. Does that make any kind of sense? They run to the very king who 30 years from now is going to invade their country and take all of them into exile. The Israelites don't seem to realize that the troubles that they're going through is discipline from God because of their covenant unfaithfulness. And instead of running to him, instead of going to him and to acknowledge, Lord, we messed up. Lord, we sin against you. They try to fix it themselves. Let me heal myself. I'm going to heal my own wounds. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm so desperate. I'm even going to run to an enemy king to get it done. It, it's amazing what you would do and run to to heal yourself. When you run out of options, they go to this king and say, "Save us, cure us, heal us." And and here's the thing: you're not going to run to a king without bowing down to him first. You cannot; they cannot go into this kingdom of another king and not bring a gift and not bow down and worship and worship him before asking for help. Now, what about us? Who or what? do you run to when you feel the impact of God's discipline in your life? When you see your wounds, when you see your sickness, what savior do you go to and cry out to for help? We are not self-sufficient beings as, as human beings. So we all have a savior. To whom uh, what are you saying? Save me. Cure me. Heal my wounds. Make me whole. If you don't have saving faith in Jesus this morning, then you're suffering from a sickness and a wound you can't see. You are. You may look good. You may have it all together. But you have a sickness that you can't see. And that sickness and wound is sin. And Jesus is the only Savior who has done what is necessary so that you can be healed of that sickness? You know when you're sick. You know when you're, you you look at the world and see things ain't what they need, what they should be, and you know your life ain't what it is what you should be. And for some of you kids, it's gonna take you getting out on your own and going through stuff, and you're gonna realize, man, grandma was right. So the, your sickness and your healing, there's only one doctor. There's only one Savior who has done what is necessary so that you can get complete healing. Because all the other Saviors you run to, all they do is give you a shot and send you home. All they do is give you a pill and take this. They put a Band-Aid on it. They don't heal you. Because what has Jesus done? He has done what Israel can't do. And that is, he was covenantally faithful to God. For three years, he didn't break no rules. And he also takes upon himself God's wrath and judgment was poured out upon him on Calvary. You see, they don't have what we have. We have to complete the canon. See, they don't have what we have. We're looking back into history. He dies in your place. Isaiah 53 says, but listen to this language, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement upon him that brought us peace was upon him. And now by his wounds we are healed. Let me put it this way. In this verse of Hosea 5, just put Jesus' name when God's talking about all that stuff He's gonna to do to Israel. That's what He did to Jesus for you. Just put Jesus there. Because that's what He did for you. All that judgment, all that wrath, that dry rot, that moth was poured out on Jesus on Calvary. Because you know, when He when He when He bore God's wrath, there was a point of time when He when God turned His face on His own Son. For you. For his enemies. That's what Jesus does. In order for you to get this healing, you have to surrender your whole life to him. And how do you do that? Romans, Romans tells us, Romans ten ten for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you're not a Christian you know if you're not you know I'm telling you you're going to live your life looking for saviors and all of them are going to disappoint you. every single one of them but one and my prayer for you is that you bend the knee now because one day you will on that day it's going to be too late he's saying bend it now Bend it now. There's no other name given under heaven by which people can be saved from their sins. There's only one true Savior, that's Jesus. There's only one true Lord and King, that's Jesus. All other saviors are sinking sand, and they're not able to redeem or to heal. This is what God tells Israel about the king of Assyria. But he is not able to cure you or heal you of your wounds. And if you are a Christian, you've been a Christian, Forever, What does this mean to you? It means your life in America can't heal your wounds. Your stuff can't heal your wounds. Your politics can't heal your wounds. Who in the White House can't heal your wounds? You don't come to Jesus and leave him to go to other saviors. He's still the same Jesus. All other grounds are sinking sand. So even as Christians, we still wonder, and we have to come remember to come back home. Why can't the king of Assyria help? It's because the, his Israel is under God's discipline. And if if you're under God's discipline, the discipline doesn't pass until He's ready for it to pass. <laughs> until He's ready for it to pass, just like a parent. The kid don't tell you, "Well, next week this discipline is gonna be over, Mama." No, it ain't over till says it's over, and that's God. Again, this is the side of God. You don't hear any songs about God's just discipline in our life. There are not very many Christian songs like that because they're not comfortable. But this is who he is. Look at the next verse, 14. He says, I would be like a lion, a young lion. I would carry off. All these personal pronouns here is God again letting Israel know that he is sovereign and complete control over them eventually going into exile. He don't want them to think this is just us being invaded by another by, a, by a, a kingdom without God being in part of the process. God says, "I'm the one who's doing it." And some of you may be like, "Hey, wait a minute, Pastor, give me a minute. That's strong language. I don't like the way these words make me feel on the inside." Your presence is moth, dry rot, You're a lion. This language makes me conf- nervous. It, it makes me confused about who you are in my life. I mean, I want, I want, I want Psalm 116 that says, your pres- presence is fullness of joy. Moth and dry rot, they don't sound like joy. Like, what's the point? And, and that's the point, Saints. Discipline and judgment and consequences aren't meant to feel good. I remember the times when I got disciplined as a kid. It didn't feel good. But looking back on it, I really I deserved all of what I got. As a Christian, there will be seasons in your life when you experience God's fatherly discipline. It's going to hurt. It won't feel like love, but it's never abuse. He never is out of control when he disciplines his people. His discipline is an expression of his love. It's a love that makes us whole. And the whole purpose of this discipline, and we're going to see this next week, is that it's to lead us to deeper levels of repentance. That's the whole point of it. Look at what he says in verse 15. This is what he wants from Israel. He says, I will return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt Seek my faith, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. What he wants is them just to acknowledge, we messed up. We have sinned against you. Forgive us. That's what he's after. Not checking the box, but the heart of the matter so, beloved, if you are in a place right now where you feel like you're maybe under God's discipline for something, please know it's there to lead you to repentance. Go. Repent. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place where you can acknowledge your guilt, seek Jesus' face, and cry out to him for help. And trust me, he will Let us pray. Father God, this this Hosea series is, is challenging. It is. It's a lot of strong language. It's a lot of word pictures and analogies and metaphors that that talk about you in such a way that I'm just not used to. All right. I don't know if that's a sign, but okay. But I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to to know that our God, even when we're under discipline, Lord, is an expression of his love. Help us to believe that. We might not believe him until we're out of it. But help us to know that it's not punishment, it's not abuse. He's still with us there, with it, in it, leading us and changing us. And so I pray as we go out this week, I pray blessings over us, blessings over our congregation. Pray for those who may be struggling and dealing with sickness, for healing. I pray for my uh, fellow pastor, Jacob, and his wife, Rachel, whose cancer has come back, spread to other parts of her body. I just pray for them, Lord, as they go through another round of chemo. And then I pray for North Hills Church that you will help Pastor Adam and their church love the hells well during this time and help our presbytery do what we can to support them. And so, Lord, you you know that that, 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 that things in this world will it it not always be what we want them to be. But one thing is true, that you will not forsake us. Even when we're going through it, even when your hand is upon us, you will not forsake us. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. And I pray for all this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Will you please stand, saints, as we close our service? You to scan the QR code on the front of worship guide to fill out our uh, guest form. Also, we have Sunday equipment classes for all ages. The adults will meet here uh, for a sermon discussion. And also, want to wish my daughter a happy 16th birthday.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
7: happy birthday, MJ! Now here's God's benediction to His beloved. Now may the Lord of Peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all all God's people said, Amen. Please greet one another, saints.